On this episode of Photo, our background, which is like Middle Eastern, you, you're kind of expected to, to be a doctor, a lawyer, yeah, an engineer, yeah. or, or study business. And so I was left with a lawyer. And he comes out with, a, with, a, with, a, with an assault rifle and he sticks it like right on my chest. He tells me to, to now turn around and count to 10 and make your prayers. And I'm like, fuck. They eventually put us in a convoy and they drive us to their militia base. And I'm like, you know, I was at this point, I was already a mountaineer and I was already like back out there and life was kind of happening a little bit in a, in a way that I was enjoying when I was away from my work. And so I was looking for a way to kind of bring that together. So I was a, I was a chain smoker, I was a binge drinker, I was, you know, I was a victim of everything that you can imagine, whatever you want, you know, you name it. I'll say, oh, it's, I can't do it because, you know. It's, oh, you want to have, you want to do something different and find like a transformation for, in your life? You know, we're that group. We're the group that's going to facilitate that and make it easy for you to do that. And being a part of that, it's like, people ask me, how can you do Kilimanjaro 10 times? It's like, I'm like, done it 10 you times. did it 10 yeah. times? Yeah, I, I, well, yeah. I mean, now you're just over the top. <laughs> It was a process of elimination. <laughs> right. So basically, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want to do business. I felt like you could study business in in the field. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to do. Uh, I didn't want to become a doctor. I didn't want to become an engineer. I hated math anyway, so that kind of eliminated those. Uh, I love math now, which is super interesting though. Like with time, that's that's changed. Um, and yeah, so you kind of and and coming from a you know our background, which is like Middle Eastern, you. You're kind of expected to, to be a doctor, a lawyer, yeah, an engineer, yeah. or, or study business. And so I was left with lawyer. Uh, and there was a little bit of Hollywood in my mind at the time. Back then, there was a great show. I don't know if you guys Soup? ever watched it. No. Oh, oh Boston Legal. Yes. Yeah, yes. Boston Legal, great De show. You know, D Denny Crane was my hero. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right? yeah, so, yeah. So you just saw yourself as another. Yeah, man, I, It had a lot of sex appeal, basically. Yeah, it had a lot of sex appeal. <laughs> okay. And I thought, okay, fine. That's, that's something that I could possibly get myself into. And so I went down that route. Um, I was never really passionate about it. I, I, I did enjoy politics. Like I was always interested in kind of world affairs, even at a very young age. Yeah. Um, I did like, I did model UN when I was a kid. And also in, in college, I like continued with it a bit. So, and, and also when I graduated, it was a very politically charged time. Uh, what year did you graduate? I graduated in 2005. So oh. that was the year mm. of the Hariri assassination. Oh, uh, so it was like a huge, like I had one, of, I was one of the first tents down in downtown Beirut. Mm -hmm. There was a tent city that was erected as a result of, yeah. uh, you know, the immediate that. aftermath yeah. and the, you know, getting the Syrians out and that whole thing. Um, so, so yeah, so I was, I was kind of like, okay, maybe this is a means to somehow get into something that'd be more, a bit more interesting for me. Um, and yeah, and then over time, as I got into it, I realized how much I hated it. <laughs> and, Fair enough. But but you also feel like you you also feel like you're invested in it now. So mm. you you know I got started, I I had to do it, and then I like I did it, and then I did a master's in it, and then I went to the, the, the what, what was called the BVC at the time, which is the bar vocational course. And it wasn't it's until a, it's a long BBC is in London, right? Uh, B, B, yeah, the BVC. It's like yeah. uh, it's it's so when you when you graduated back then, um, I don't know how it is now, but back then you had to do either the uh, LPC, which is to become a solicitor, or BBC to become a barrister. And I went I went down the the BVC route, and then during the BVC, I'm like, man, like I'm so far away from what it is that I want to be doing in my life, that like it has to stop. Like I have to stop now, and that's exactly what happened. 
Uh, and then I, I, I went from, uh, so, and then I kind of, I, I got lost a lot along the way. So, uh, cause you know, when you're, when you're down, going down a, a, a career path, the trajectory is very clear. It's like you do the undergraduate, you do the postgraduate, yeah. you do this mm -hmm. and then you get it's very then structural. You, yeah. Then you do the, the internship and then you, and then you practice and then you get to, you know, an event, you know, it's very linear. Um, whereas when you like take a step out of that. Uh, it be, the world becomes like a huge place, and there are there and the road signs are all contradictory. They're all pointing at each other. It's like where the hell do I go? Um, so yeah, so I kind of moved from that into consulting. Uh, I did that for a while. I moved to Libya, uh, where I worked as a, as a consultant for a while. Uh, this was in the post Gaddafi era, and I, I just felt like I needed to get away from London. I needed to go and do something. You know that was my own, and 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 you know you, you also there's this Lebanese thing of you have to go to a difficult place to make it. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. there's always opportunity. Yeah, Habibi, uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. especially yeah. in like developing countries as well. Hundred percent. You know, so so I'm like okay, Libya Libya is interesting for me because I also have like a, a relationship to that country um, through family. So I thought okay, this is this could be a place that I could go, and I went there. Um, I had a really difficult time. Uh, things went well at first, but then it deteriorated into civil war, and um, and I also like I also got uh, at one point I was kidnapped, and at one point I was really? put, yeah no what yeah well you kind of just dropped that bomb on us no, like, no, no, yeah kidnapped. Uh, well look I'll, uh, okay so I'll, I'll, a little backstory on Libya so I was um, uh, so we were there for four years I was there for four years um, I was there with a Lebanese partner of mine who was uh, who's a friend from school. Um, I had a legal background. He had a finance background. He was with Nomura Bank in London. So uh, we thought, okay, let's get together, like pool our resources and try and do something in Libya because what was happening was a lot of companies were trying to get information in the post-Gaddafi era and there was no way for them, there was nobody to speak to. So we, got, we went down there and we started to kind of do field work on behalf of uh, companies who we had relationships with uh, through our own work. And that started to kind of, uh, expand and um, and so and so for the first few years it was amazing like man we were talking like I was I think I was like 24 25 at the time and uh, maybe even a bit younger actually and uh, like I was talking to CEOs of, of gigantic companies like you know f uh, CEOs of, 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 com of like company names that you would you, you wouldn't even imagine mm. you know Especially and, and, at that young age and, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought, and, and i thought i was the shit like, yeah. like <laughs> seriously like I'd, I'd show up in london for like a meeting and they would send me their rolls royce and i'm like 24 like, oh, this is <laughs> like i'm loving yeah, this i'm like, like, like this i can right. I, I, daddy lifestyle so it's yeah like i can totally do this yeah um of course the the, the, like, the the flip side of it was living in libya was super tough because Right after uh, Gaddafi, what happened was that all these militias that had fought him... Yeah, and it was like a vacuum in power. Huge power vacuum. Yeah. And, and they started to fight each other over time. It took a little bit of time for that to happen. But they, like, at first it was kind of petty theft, and then it started to get organized. And then once they started to take control of oil terminals, they had financing. And it just became like there was a huge interest in making sure that there was no Libyan state. Um, which is, in a funny way, is similar to Lebanon. But we'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. Except that there, they were fighting over resources. Over here, they're fighting over a black hole. Um, right. And, and so, um, yeah, so eventually, um, what first turned out to be, okay, if you're staying at home, you know, you're going straight from the office to the, to the, to the house, and you don't go around at night, uh, then it's fine. You know, you can sit on the roof and watch Tracer fire between the militias, and you're not yeah. going to be targeted. Very well, romantic. Yeah, yeah. It was my, it, that was my Thursday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, we laugh about it now, but man, back scary, then it was yeah. Yeah, scary yeah. as hell. Um, but then what happened was it was February 2014, 
and the prime minister of the country who was the first prime minister elected after, uh, after Gaddafi, his name was Ali Zaydan, um, went into exile. And uh, I remember that I was, I was in France at the time. We were doing a project with a, with a, um, with a, a French company that was doing a bread factory. And so I was there uh, do, uh, attending a convention just to understand the industry. And I get a phone call, I'm like, uh, this guy has left. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, it was kind of expected, we saw that. But what happened after that was that when we went back to Libya, the whole atmosphere had started to change. It stopped being about, okay, if you're not in politics and you're not dealing with militias, then you're okay. No, it started to become like people were getting targeted. So thefts were happening, people were getting kidnapped. That started to become a very common occurrence. For what reason would they get kidnapped for? Money, extortion. Oh, okay. Like, uh, you know, and if you're a foreigner, that's uh, and, and I would be considered one that... It's a bonus. That's so. a bonus. And if you have a European passport, and I have a European passport, that's an... So that's you were a very lucrative target. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, apparently. You were a walking dollar sign, essentially. Pretty much, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So, uh, so what happened was, like, within the space of uh, 10 days, uh, a number of things happened to us. Um, we were doing a project with, a, with a, mark, a global marketing firm and we were actually driving down the highway and uh, a car started to chase us. And imagine we're four guys in the car and this guy's on his own with a, with a rifle and, a, and holding a grenade in his hand. I swear to God, I'm Jesus not making Christ. this up. What the fuck? This is yeah, like yeah. a scene from a movie. No, man. no, I'm not making this up, man. It's a Sicario, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he, he's holding a grenade in his hand. His eyes were like, like flying out of his face because of whatever the hell he'd taken. And he was basically trying to, trying to get me to stop the car and I wouldn't stop. I'm like, man, if I stop the car, this guy's gonna blow himself up and us as well. So we kept going, 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 going. And I felt like it was like a scene out of James Bond. I had, I had to like, I climbed over the highway, went against the traffic. I swear to God, man, this, this really happened. And eventually I lost him. But that was like the first your first kind of, incident was our first yeah. incident, exactly. Yeah. And then the second incident was just a couple of days later. I was driving over to uh, to, to the house, and um, there was it was Friday, so we normally have a barbecue. And on the on the other side of the, so, so I parked the car out on the outside wall. Uh, usually I go into the house, but on this particular day I parked on the outside wall, and there was nobody on the road. Uh, it was Friday morning, and then suddenly this black. Toyota FJ, I'll never forget it in my life. You were by yourself. I was by myself. Yeah. Comes and parks, like he, you know, pulls the handbrake, like just stops right next to me, makes sure that I can't move because there was a car parked in front of me, so I couldn't back out. And you had the wall next to you. And I had the wall yeah. on my left hand side. I was parking the car, and this guy, this kid, uh, he must have been in his like late teens. He's wearing a baseball cap and black curly hair, and he comes out with a with a with a with an assault rifle. And he sticks it like right on my chest uh, as I, cause I had the door open and he basically like starts shouting at me and I'm like, okay, I better keep my mouth shut as much as possible because I can get away with a little bit of Libyan Arabic, but then like he's going to figure out eventually. So uh, he puts me up against the wall. Um, basically, he, he, uh, he, and, and he, he was trying to steal my car. And just out of interest, what was he telling you? Like when he was shouting at you, or you don't remember? I don't remember. Like he was he basically he was like he was very nervous. I was trying to calm him down. Like in that scenario, like I, I at this point I was already like I'm I'm you know I'm a mountaineer. I do I have a background in stress situations that I'm very familiar with, and when I think about it now, it's terrifying. But in the moment, for whatever reason, I react somehow in a in a in a decent way. I I don't know why that is. I can't really like you're just calm. It's just it's just I was I was like. I was, yeah, I was you thinking, focused. I was focused, oh, yeah. I was focused, and I felt like he wasn't focused, and so mm -hmm. I was trying to calm him down. I'm like, I was just telling him, okay, okay, don't worry, whatever you want, you know, just, just relax. He was, he was sweating, he was breathing, breathing heavily, like, just relax. So I figured, like, this will go sour because he's nervous. 
So <clears throat> he puts me up against the wall. He has my, he turns my, like my faces against the wall and he, uh, and he gets in the car and he has like one leg out of the car and he's trying to open the car, like turn, turn it on with the key. And uh, it wasn't working. And, and so he, he like calls me back. He's like, he thought that I had put this something to block the car. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. Like, exactly. I don't know what kind of space age shit he was. Anyway, so I'm like, okay, I go in there and I realize that it's just the handle, is, the, the, um, the steering wheel is blocked. So I just kind of shake it a little bit and I turn the car on for him. I'm like, okay, okay. He's like, okay. He tells me to, to now turn around and count to 10 and make your prayers. And I'm like, fuck, man, I'm going to die. Oh, I'm like, Christ. fuck this shit. So I, so I do, I turn and I'm, and then I'm what I, I, I choose the direction towards the door of the, of the gate, like the gate. And when I get to it, I see that somebody inside had heard the noises and had buzzed the gate. So the door was slightly open. So as I get close to the door and I see that, I just don't even think, I don't look behind. I don't care if he's looking at me or whatever. I'm like, I have to give this a try or I don't know what's going to happen. And I just throw myself inside, slam the door, make a lot of noise. So it sounds like I'm going to go get my gun. And he like runs away they, they run away. I go to the police station later on that evening and I tell them what happened. They didn't believe me. They're like, they're like everybody, you know why? He's like, because everybody who's getting carjacked is getting at least shot in the leg. So just so because they, you so they, so the leg, they thought like so that so you 100% escaped the bullet. Like I, I, that, that, that's what they told me. Mm. Yeah, so I thought, okay, fine. I, you know, and I remember my, my, so, so my mom finds out and she calls me and she's like, okay, you have to leave. And I was like, yeah, I'll get on a British Airways flight. Uh, you know, I've already booked it. They said they're postponing it for, for a uh, couple of days. So don't worry, I'll just get on that flight. And she's like, no, you're going to get on another flight. She sends me and my partner and e Egypt air tickets um, <clears throat> for like two days later, three days later. So um, I said, okay, fine, we'll do that. Uh, I'll get on that flight. And, uh, and we had dogs at home. And so what we wanted to do is get, we had, a, we had a big dog and we wanted to get him neutered because we didn't want to come back and find a thousand dogs. We thought we were going for, like leaving for, 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 no, we thought we were leaving for like a couple of weeks. Things will calm down and then we'll come back. So, uh, you know, my, my, till this day, my, my suits are still hanging in the closet. I haven't been back to Libya since 2014. But, but, uh, but, uh, but I'll get to that in a moment. So we, we, uh, we eventually, um, uh, so we're on our way to the vet and we had a big dog. He was a mixed breed between a Dogo Argentino and a, and a, and a Doberman because oh, we used to have those Dogo. two and they, yeah, he was a big Dogo though. And, and so, um, we, we took him to the vet and we did what we had to do and he was under anesthesia. So my partner was sitting in the back seat with the, holding the dog's head so that he doesn't choke on his, on his tongue while he was still asleep. And I was driving the car and we passed a militia, a militia checkpoint, which is one that we pass every single day and never had a problem. On this particular day, we passed it and the guy sees that there's a dog in the back. And in Libya, big dogs are popular for dog fighting. Oh. Yeah. So he, so, he, so he makes us park on the side and he asks for my papers. Uh, mind you, I'm still talking in Libyan Arabic, so there's no issue yet. I open the glove compartment, none of my papers are there because my car was jacked like a couple of days ago and all my papers were in there and I did, didn't compute and I borrowed, I had borrowed a, a car from, from a family member and, uh, and, and there were just no papers in the car, nothing, not, not, not even the documents of the car, nothing, zero. All right, so <clears throat> it, took, it took like in the next few minutes they realized that we're foreigners. 
I passed my phone to George, my partner in the back. And I'm like, listen, this, it, it, it's, um, it was a, the number of a, of a guy we know who's like a security chief. And I'm like, listen, you get this guy on the phone no matter what. I will talk to them. You just keep dialing until you get him and tell him where we are and what's happening. So anyway, from, from discussion to discussion and shouting and screaming and whatever and threatening, they eventually put us in a convoy and they drive us to their militia base. And I'm like, fuck, man, this is like, this is like, this is how, like, this is, I mean, I, I, like, for me, I was just angry. I'm like, I can't believe. But you found yourself in this situation. Especially after escaping. escaping right. Like, uh, and I'm like, third, third time's the charm, right? Yeah. Like, this is it. You know, this, is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is how I'm going to get fucked, you know, you know, perhaps literally, most likely figuratively. How were you feeling? Like right? at that time when you were like being transported to the base, like how was, what were your thoughts? Bro, I was... Did you have any thoughts? Yeah. It was, man, the whole, the only thing I was thinking about was like, George, get that guy on the phone. Everything else was about distracting the person who, because they had, so basically they made me drive my car. They put a guy in the car with me. Nobody was sitting at the back because there was the big dog that they're afraid of. So George was there with my phone. You just and, wanted to buy as much time as you can. Yeah, just buying as much time, driving very slowly, like, uh, you know, just, 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 talking to him, trying to calm him down a little bit, let, you know, trying to build a relationship with this guy next to me, just for, just because you feel like that's humanized. Yeah. Just human, just to humanize myself in front of them, because at this point they already knew that we're foreigners and, uh, and, and, you know, so there was this kind of, ah, okay, well you're foreigners and you're coming here to make money in my country. And you know, that's so there's the, this, there's this hate already towards exactly, you to a certain extent. Exactly. And Gaddafi basically taught the Libyans that the whole world is built on Libyan money, yeah. you know, and that we all stole it from them, right? So this is, so basically they think that New York and Dubai and London is all Gaddafi, it's all <laughs> Libyan money that was stolen from, you know, from Libya by the, by, by all of us. Even though he stole <coughs> most of that money. Yeah, well, well, yeah, well, you know what? We come back, we'll loop back to that yeah. uh, on Lebanon again, yeah, you know, because yeah. that's, the, you know, that's the same kind of thing that, same kind of issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so uh, we eventually we get to the uh, to the to the militia base. Luckily, by this point, our friend uh, whose name I won't mention uh, had arrived there with his like group of people, and they start negotiating. And we get to and, and we're like taken aside and, and kind of there. And so the whole ordeal, I think, was I mean, it wasn't as long. Like I say, kidnapping, it was like it wasn't that long. It's like a, it was like maybe a, the whole thing from start to end was about 12 hours. OK, so it was like a diet kidnapping. Yeah, it was a diet. Exactly. Like a diet Pepsi. Exactly. Like a diet it, it, it's like it was like, a, yeah, kidnapping uh, light. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> kidnapping <laughs> zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, yeah. So we, we that, that kind of happened. Eventually, uh, luckily, we were able to to get out and, uh, and, and basically we just lost the second car. That was the price of our, our, our freedom. Uh, the dog stayed with us. Uh, Thank but, God. Yeah. But not, but not, uh, not out of like, we basically rent, like we, we got the dog out without them knowing. Um, and within six hours we were on an airplane. You just got the hell out of there. Uh, yeah. And when I landed in London, cause it was a Egypt air flight via Cairo to London. When we landed in London, um, we got, a, I get a text message that a, uh, a militia from, uh, the South, uh, from, from Zintan, sorry. Uh, it's just uh, another area, uh, in Western Libya had bombed the airport. And to this day, the airport has not reopened. No. How many way. hours after we got to London again? It was like a few hours. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. So it was, it was within the flight time, basically. And yeah, I never went back to Libya again. I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I can yeah. understand. Yeah. Is, is that even an option right now? 
uh, for me to go back? No, yeah. it's not because it's uh, it's a still a civil war. I think it's the situation now is even worse than it was back then. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. It's a it's a very sad situation because Libya is a country that has at the time was pumping out two million barrels of oil a day mm. when when oil was yeah. was still at ninety dollars a barrel. It has a population the size of Lebanon in a space the size of France, double the size of France. Yeah. Sorry, and it's and, and it has two thousand kilometers of pristine Mediterranean coastline. And it's and it's 55 minutes flight from Malta, an hour and 45 minutes from Rome. Yeah. It's nothing. So it's like, you go through this kind of traumatic experience right. in Libya, and do you still go into consultancy at this point? No. Or okay. Yeah. So 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 basically, yeah, good. So basically, what happens is I go back and I kind of wander around for a while and try to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Um, we still had some contracts that were running, and eventually they all expired. Um, and so the Libya stint was basically dead. And I, you know, I was at this point, I was already a mountaineer and I was already like back out there and life was kind of happening a little bit in a, in a way that I was enjoying when I was away from my work. And so I was looking for a way to kind of bring that together um, and make it a kind of a, a permanent lifestyle. Uh, and so in, it was September 2014, a friend of mine, um, an old school friend of mine had had this idea for this this app. Uh, which kind of was a bridge for the outdoors. It was kind of like an Airbnb for outdoor activities. And we tried to give that a go together. That didn't work out. But what that did do for me was it opened up this idea that, okay, hey, you can actually, like, there's a way for us to bring this industry into your life and make it something that's sustainable. Um, so, and it, it kind of just started with, I, I, I posted on Facebook, uh, like, to, like, my friends, hey, guys, I'm going to go to Kilimanjaro. Who wants to come? And, and 10 people showed, you know, and, and so, um, and that was the, the beginning of Life Happens Outdoors, which is what I do now. Uh, a couple of months later, I'm like, okay, guys, hey, I'm going to do the Tour de Mont Blanc, which is this trek around the Mont Blanc. Who's in? You know, 10 people showed. Like, Shit, okay. Mm. And then we're interested. Cool. Yeah, no. yeah, and then Annapurna Base Camp, uh, which happened that November. It's like, who, who wants to come? 10 people showed. So, so I, I realized, I'm like, okay, there's something here that I can build on. And uh, at first, I didn't know what I had, which is normal. Um, when you're starting up anything, you have an idea and maybe you even have a goal that you want to get to, but the, the, uh, the, if you want the market or the, the environment that you're in will shape yeah, the journey, the journey, yeah. exactly to, to getting you towards, uh, where you're finally going to end up. And so over the course of three years, uh, so to, uh, I would say, uh, when we really started up was in 2017, that was when we did the Kilimanjaro trip until today. Um, we found ourselves going from just like a little side gig that was fun, but you know, it was a side gig to, uh, to one of the most recognized brands, um, in the region. Uh, it's called life happens outdoors. And we, uh, we and, and we've, we've found our, our thing, which is about being for the first timers, because one of the things that you guys probably don't know about me is that when I was in law school, I was also 110 kilograms. I was a chain Smoke. smoker. I, I, I saw in an interview, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw a post. I, I think you did a post about it right. as well. Yeah. Right. So I was, a, I was a chain smoker. I was a binge drinker. I was, you know, I was a victim of everything that you can imagine, mm. whatever you want, you know, you name it. I'll say, oh, it's, I can't do it because, you know, kind of like Lebanon. You mm. can't do it because. Always find an excuse. Basically. Always find an excuse. Yeah. Right. And, and, that's why, and that's why I don't tolerate excuses anymore. It's because I went from somewhere to somewhere completely different. And, 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 I, and I realized that the only way that anybody can do that um, whether individually or collectively, is when you stop sitting in the passenger seat and you finally get into the driver's seat and, and, and take control and take responsibility, man. Take responsibility. That's what it's about. So 
Yeah, so uh, so so I kind of I I, I got my life in order, um, and it was all it was mostly because I wanted to climb mountains. I wanted like that's a childhood dream of mine, and and I realized that through my experiences, it was so difficult to find a place where you could take that first step and feel comfortable doing it. And so when I built Life Happens Outdoors, I built it around that idea. It's like it's not for it's you know it's not a it's not a an adrenaline you know fist pumping crazy group that's you know of young people who are no no it's 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 oh you want to have you want to do something different and find like a transformation for in your life you know we're that group we're the group that's going to facilitate that make it easy for you to do that um we don't want you to feel like you're you're uh, you're alienated just because um you're you're new to this no we want you to we want to ease you into it so our itineraries are designed so that first timers feel comfortable we don't use jargon we you know we're, we're very very um uh, uh inclusive uh, the way we run our trips is all about uh you know centered around you it's centered around the individual and 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 i felt like that and, and i got that through my experience it's just that i i couldn't find that when i got started and i and i could see how people who want to do this but are just don't feel like it's for them because of the way that it's marketed, um, would shy away from it and therefore not get that experience that would that could potentially change their lives. And I've been with hundreds of people now and I can, you know, and I know them each individually and I know their stories that, and everybody has like an incredibly inspirational story and none of, none of them are the profile you would imagine would do something like this. You know, I've, I've seen people in their 60s on the summit of Kilimanjaro I've seen, I've seen, I've seen everything. I've seen it all. I've seen people with with serious illnesses, you know, arthritis, diabetes, who have like really just inspired us and and been able to go the distance. And that's really what and 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 then taken those experiences back into their lives and made huge changes that have been positive for them. And that's kind of what we what we wanted to what we wanted to do. And it was all through kind of. Some you know, people ask me, do you regret going to Libya and do you regret like going through you know being fat and 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 I'm like no you know these are these are things like I wouldn't be who I am and I without carry without the experiences without, yeah, yeah the previous exactly the course, course, exactly and yeah. I and I carry those issues and I carry those experiences with me wherever I go you know lot two years ago I climbed Amadablam it's the pinnacle of my climbing career so far and you know. At the summit, there were all of those guys. There was there was 110 kilogram Rami. There was smoker Rami. Mm -hmm. There was there was there was you know loser Rami. Yeah. There was a lawyer Rami. There was we were all there, yeah. you know. And it and was a win for all of those. Exactly, Ramis. and and because and I and I say it's like the summit is only the culmination of every step on your way to the yeah. top. Yeah. And 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 that doesn't necessarily start at the base camp. That starts wherever you start yeah. in life. You know. From from a psychological perspective, because it's not like you're kind of battling one addiction you're 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 overweight so uh smoking drinking and i don't know kind of i'm assuming your mental state wasn't very right how do you take that like the first step to to break all of those addictions because when you're battling on three fronts or four fronts it's not easy and if i could also add one was it one was that like was there a, a certain experience in particular that woke you up that said okay today i want to change my lifestyle um, look, it, it, for me, it was, it took, yes, I'll, I'll answer your question first and then, because it leads, it leads in nicely. So, uh, I did have a moment, um, which was, because I always, you know, I always knew I shouldn't be smoking, you know, you know, yeah. you shouldn't smoke, you know, you shouldn't be drinking that much, you know, you shouldn't, you, you know, you know, you should take the, your, the stairs to your first floor <laughs> apartment, right, and not the elevator, but you don't do it. 
and and were and, you a heavy drinker uh, yeah very yeah. i used to work in the pubs when i was younger as well like a part-time job so um and and so yeah you you, you don't do it and what happened with me was that I, I always kick the can down the road. I'm still young, you know, I'm gonna, like, this is, this, you know, eventually I'll change, eventually I'll change. And what ended up happening was that it was one night, it was in the middle of the night. It was February, 2006, I think. And I, I woke up because I was craving a cigarette. And I'll never forget in this. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. I'll never forget this in my life. I turned on my bedside lamp and I had this uh, vertical mirror uh, on the right side of my bed. And I just, as I was turning, I kind of looked, caught my, my eyes in the, in the mirror and I couldn't see myself. Like I couldn't see this, you know, this kid who wanted to climb mountains, who was, uh, who was so passionate about being up in the hills, who was, a, a, you know, very passionate. At that point, I hadn't skied for five years. Skiing was my life. I yeah. broke my leg skiing when I was five years old. It was the most depressing winter of my life when mm. I was five, yeah. you know, it's like, I couldn't see that passion for anything anymore. In essence, you were alienated. I was, I was, yeah, yeah I had no purpose. Yeah. I was, I was, I was, I was just there, you know, I was just like, this is, this is life. You're just going to smoke yourself into an early grave and that's going to be it, mm. you know, well done. Good for you. Um, and, and so, and that scared the hell out of me because when you're, when you're young, you think that, okay, you have time. But as time progresses, you realize that actually you don't have time. Um, and, 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 and actually, the time that you're wasting when you're young, uh, it, 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 there's a multiplier effect uh, that, that, that you pay for as you, as you grow older. And, and I, I, I felt like I had a choice in that moment. I'm like, okay, either we keep going this way and, you know, good for you. You're just going to be that, you know, or just you have to change something has to change so i didn't have a cigarette that night i forced myself congratulations right no that's it that's a, it, but you start somewhere right you have to start and and so i didn't have a cigarette that night and i went i forced myself back to sleep the next morning i went into my kitchen i put the cigarette between my fingers i lit it i turned on the kettle poured my instant coffee uh, and then I looked at my, I looked at my hand and then I put it, put out the cigarette. I poured my instant coffee into the sink. I went to the fridge. I took out all the shit that was in there. And that was that. I never touched a cigarette since I never, uh, I never, I, you know, I, I stopped drinking for a while. I, I drink now occasionally, but never, never back to anywhere near what I used to drink. I None maybe, of those blackout drunk No, nights, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I drink to enjoy it. I'll have yeah. a glass of, uh, you know, I'll have a glass of wine or, or beer when I feel like I deserve it. So that was basically, that was the first step towards uh, a series of mistakes that led me here. And I say that because... You know, people think that once you decide, okay, great, you're now going to be, uh, you're, you're, you're going to get healthy now and things are going to be great and yeah. you're going to know what to do. And it's like, that's it. It's not linear. Um, it's so tough, by the way. Yeah, yeah it's so tough. And, 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 and it's not just tough physically. It's tough mentally, uh, mentally and, in your, and, and, and socially. Because, you know, when you're, when, when you're that guy, you have friends because you're that guy, right? So it's like, who, who are, you know, I'm the, I was the reliable drinking partner. I was the reliable person to go out at night. I was the reliable person who wanted to do certain things. And suddenly I stopped being that person. And Total that, 180 degrees. Exactly. Switch. 
And, and what, what happens is that you lose a lot of friends along the way mm. because you no longer suit their purpose. And they, and, and they actually resist that. And a lot of people feel that and they feel the pressure of having to be, you know, go back, oh, Rami, just have a drink. You're oh, just guy, have yeah. a cigarette. Oh, just whatever. They try to fight it. They try to fight it. And, and so constantly, they, and, and so they, they, consequently, they, they fight you. Mm. But wouldn't a good friend realize that, wow, you're making enormous strides in your life and I should be supporting you rather than trying to revert you back to the state mm -hmm. of, the caveman, that guy, you know. But that, but that, in essence, differentiates who your true friends are From and who your friends are. The ones that just wanted to party want with you and yeah. exactly the right. title. Right. I was, I was, I was gonna say it's like yeah, th those people are still my friends. Yeah. But, but there, but you'll be surprised how how thin that filter is, yeah. you know. And and it's fine. I get it. You know, you're not supposed to have friends that are there for everything. Like yeah. you, you know, you end up, you, you, you know, my mountaineering buddies are not going to be the same guys who are going to have, you know, political chats with uh, about Lebanon. Like my, like you have different, different people will fit in different places in your life. And, and that's, and that's fine. And of course you're going to have great friends who you love and you care about, but they're not going to fit everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's normal. Not every friend can be a very close friend as well. Right. Right. And, and then, and, and also you have a, the issue of a family because, you know, we're Mediterraneans at the end of the day, you know, if we're you're Phoenicians, not, yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, but like, if you're losing weight, the first thing that the first person who's going to panic is mom. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> Habibi, you're not eating. Why are you depressed? hundred percent. Exactly. Why are you depressed? Why, you know, you're not, you don't look good. You're, mm. you know, even though I was still like 30 kilos overweight, it was a bit of a struggle with my, with my, with my mom in particular, not because she doesn't mean well, she does. It's, and she wants what's best for me. I know that. But it's just scary to see change in that way, and uh, and so uh, now she's like completely on the on the on the opposite side of it. But at first she was very nervous, and that you know that was always a bit of a of, uh, it caused a bit of tension because like she wants to she wants to spoon feed you whenever you come back from the holidays or come back from uh, I sorry, can totally come for the holidays to that, by the way. Right, right. It's like call the abun Nicole, you know, and it's like yeah, okay. Um, so so uh, that was that was a bit uh, a, a bit stressful, I would say. Um, but, but on the whole, you know, and then, and then there was the physical side. So I, you know, the first thing I did, which is what a lot of people do is crash diet. And then you realize that you shouldn't crash yeah, diet because not it's not healthy. And you become something called skinny fat, which means you're wearing a size small, but you take off your t-shirt and you're still fat. It's weird. It's such a weird thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, and then I, I, you know, I, the first thing I did was I went running. I busted both my knees because you're overweight. You have no muscle, you know. Um, so I learned, like, I kind of learned along the way. And eventually I came back to mountains. And when I came back to mountains, that everything that I did was channeled around mountains. So, um, uh, you know, I would go to rock climbing gyms. I would, I would, I would do some swimming for my cardio. I'd, it's always about doing a mountain objective for me. And, and, and that's kind of, that's where th I think the real game changer happened. I, I reconnected with my, with, with what it is that I love more than anything in the world. And that's to be in the high altitude environment and, and to share that high altitude environment. So I love to do, you know, the crazy things that are on my own where I'm kind of pushing my own limits, but I also equally love bringing people for their first time and letting them, you know, catch that bug and, and being a part of that. It's like, people ask me, how can you do Kilimanjaro 10 times? It's like, I'm like, You've done it 10 you times. did it 10 <laughs> yeah. times. Yeah. I, I, well, yeah. I mean, now you're just over the top. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my job, you know, yeah, I, I take, yeah, it's, part of, my, it's the, part of my the, work. The nine first times they're like, they didn't like click. What no, was you know, the 10th time is going to give me that adrenaline rush. 10th time is the charm yeah. and everybody yeah. knows it. <laughs> so you, you replace kind of these detrimental addictions for kind of a very, would you say you're addicted to this kind of mountaineering? I, I mean, I know it's your career. Physical activity, I guess. I, I, would, I would say it's my passion. I wouldn't say it's an addiction because it's not, I don't feel it, I, I, I don't do it um, 
Like I don't do it, uh, you know, out of like w without really wanting to do it. Whereas with sm smoking and, and and drinking and whatever, it's like I'm not doing anything, so I'll have a cigarette. Okay. It oh, becomes a habit. Then. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a habit. Uh, this isn't a habit. This yeah. is like this is you know, it's very it's it's very intentional. Um, I, I intend to go to this place. I, I read about it. I study it. I get myself excited about it. I, I, I live it in every, in every aspect of my life because mountains for me is not just about climbing a mountain. It's a metaphor, you know, and, and in everything because a mountaineer is, a, is, you know, as much as we climb in groups and we have partners at the end of the day, your life is in your own hands. And I think that very much fits with the theme of what happened in my life, which is where I was in the driver in the passenger seat and jumped into the driver's seat. And so I feel like that's a very real way for me to you know, reconceptualize uh, the way I live my life. And that that's what I love about it. It's like it's a very physical, very real, very visible way of understanding what life is about. And and, and, and it's not about, you know, being comfortable and it's not about uh, being happy. It's about it's about pursuit. It's about exploring. It's about understanding. It's about growth, and 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 I, you know, I I love my mountains, but I don't just mean it in terms of mountaineering. I mean it in terms of everything. Nobody grows if they're if they don't get themselves to the edge of what they're comfortable. They with. don't step out of that comfort zone. As hundred percent. And I think your story is very motivational because. The first thing is that when you stepped out of that comfort zone, you weren't just, as I said, in a physical uh, physical sense, but also having to go through that pressure. I think maybe the first year might have been really tough when you had to cut off some friends when your reputation changed. And for me, that's very motivational because so many people, I don't think they wouldn't have done it, but at the end of the day, it's having that passion and that drive and that deter determination. And I think you've had all those because you had the end goal. But as you said earlier, that journey getting towards that end goal is what was in your hands and having that passion is very important. I agree. I think even what's more impressive is not the fact that you went from 110 kilos and everything. I think the, the mental challenge yeah. of what you conquered, that's, that is what basically really resonated with me because like you're saying, mountains are very metaphorical. And when you start realizing, okay, I can kind of conquer this mountain and get to this and then to this, I think there are parallels mentally with the progress of how, because as human beings, all we should do is just kind of strive to get better and strive to grow. And I think, they're perfectly correlated with climbing mountains and mentally growing as well. Um, I wanted to ask, so what type of preparation goes into, because let's be real here, these are very, it's, it's dangerous to you know go to the places you go. So what type of mental prep, what type of physical prep goes into that kind of lifestyle? Yeah, look, it's, <laughs> it's difficult to, to point out like something that, you know, one particular thing. I, I would say, Look, for me, it's about understanding that I'm going for the experience and not necessarily for a physical point. Uh, like when I went to climb Amadablam, I didn't know if I could climb Amadablam. I mean, you don't know if you can climb a mountain until you've climbed the mountain. Yeah. Um, but what, you, what I did was I, I, just, I took away everything that is related to you know, reaching the summit and no matter what and put, and all of that nonsense just means absolutely nothing to me. I, what, I, what I said was, I'm going to keep going until I can't keep going, all right? And at that point, I'll turn around and I'll go back down. I'm not here to die. I'm here to live, actually. I'm, I'm actually here to live, right? And so, and consequently, um, your, your, your mind has to be wired in a way that sees the summit as micro-objectives. 
um, that eventually get you there. And I think that that's something that you do, like, like if, you, if you take that idea and you apply it to life, it's, it's also been one of the reasons why LHO has been so successful. It's because you don't, you know, if I stand at the bottom of the mountain and I look at the summit, I'm like, what the fuck, man? That's like, <laughs> like that's, that's like 6,800 and I don't know how many meters. Yeah, it's like, it's like how, the, how the hell am I gonna do that? It's, it, like, or, or, or just up, in, you know, two days ago, I finished the Lebanon mountain trail, mm -hmm. 470 kilometers, 22,000 vertical meters. And if I was sitting in Marjayun in the south and thinking how the, you know, looking at a map and being like, okay, I have to get to Akkad, like, what the fuck am I going to do? But what I did was I broke it down into micro objectives. So it's like, okay, first thing in the morning, I need to get up and have my breakfast, right? Then I need to go and take a shit. You know, if those two things have happened successfully, then I can conquer them. We're on it. We're yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. we're, we're, you know, that's, that's, step I think one. the shit is the most motivational it's, part. Uh, you have no idea, man. You have no idea how, how important that is, right? So like, seriously, I, and I say this in the mountains all the time, like there are two things that are extremely important. You'll have a good day in the mountains if you have good weather and a good shit. Trust <laughs> me, like that's, that's, that's something. You don't want to be carrying around something in your stomach. Yeah. So, you know? so, so, um, so yeah, you break it down into micro objectives. Then it becomes okay. Like when we're running the, 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 the Lebanon mountain trail. All right, I want to get to 10K before the sun goes up because it's gonna get hot. So that becomes an objective. It's a very, that's, that's a manageable objective. And then I wanna to get to 25K before I have a big meal, right? Uh, or, or something a little more than just a, a, an energy bar. So that becomes another objective. And then, and you start to kind of make, you know, you, you, you break it down and when you do that, um, and you're and always ready to say, I'm happy where I am. And I did the same thing on Amadablin. It's like, I'm, okay, I'm gonna to get to the base camp first. Right? And at the base camp, I'm gonna see if I'm comfortable. Then I'll get to camp one. If I'm comfortable there, I'll go to camp two. At camp two, I, was going, I went straight for summit from camp two. And at camp two, I remember I woke up in the middle of the night to get ready to, to go. And I put on my things and I'm like, okay, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you know what, Rami, at any point, you can just, you, 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 know, no, no, you don't have to do anything. Uh, so do you want to do it? And my answer was yes. I'm like, okay, then let's keep going until you don't wanna do it anymore. Right, and, 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 and so I opened, the, I opened my tent, I took a step out, and I kept that in the back of my mind until I found myself on the summit. And it was always about just, okay, let's get to camp. Uh, th there's an area on the shoulder called Camp 3, but there's no actual camp there, they just call it Camp 3. I'm like, okay, let's get to Camp 3 now and see how you feel. Got to Camp 3, right. What do you think, can we keep going? I think so. I think, do you want to keep going? Because it's not just if you can keep going, it's like, do you want to keep going? I'm like, yeah, I do all right, let's just keep going. And you keep doing it until you get to where, where it is that you want to go. And, 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 and I say that I don't think about the summit because the summit isn't a real thing. It isn't. Like when you get up to the summit, there's a really interesting quote from um, Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first uh, person to, to climb uh, with, with his partner Tenzing Norgay Sherpa to climb Everest. And it was that he, he, in his memoirs, he says that he reached the summit of Everest, the highest mountain in the world, and there he was looking across the valley at Makalu, another 8,000er, and planning his next mountain. Mm. It's like, <laughs> there's, the summit isn't the real. Yeah. There, there is no finish line. The yeah. finish line is when we're no longer here, right? So, so this idea of like, uh, you get somewhere and then you sit on your ass and you, and you, and you celebrate, you're satisfied. you know, and you're satisfied, that's not really there. I mean, it, 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 you do have, you have moments of satisfaction and you have moments of happiness and you have moments of euphoria and, and, and those are wonderful uh, and, and really why, why we go there. But that 
that's tra like that, that that that's transient, you know. And then and then we and then kind of the reality kicks in, and I'm like, okay, now I'm on the summit of a 6,800 meter mountain, and I need to get my ass back down, uh -huh. <laughs> right? And then you get back down, and it's like, okay, now I need to get what's you next? Know, what's next? Yeah. And I have to, you know, and then there and then new things start to happen because life is like that. It just it just keeps going, and you just have to be ready to roll with it and 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 take it as it comes, but at the same time break it down in a way that makes it manageable. And when you do that, man, you can really go the distance. Guys, Seriously. I'm sorry, I need to. I'm getting 25. Like, I think there's an emergency. Bro, there's a fire. People are losing their shits, all right? Well, I don't think it, there's a fire in Poet. Again? Again? Yeah, but we don't know what it is. I'm getting seven missed calls. Sorry, I just need to, because my mom is oh my freaking God. out. But Tanya's calling me, bro. Yeah, yeah. Answer. Oh, you're kidding. Apparently. Holy wow. shit. Oh, my God. Ryan, Ryan, Is this thing open? Thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Anrami, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, and I'm a sellout. Thank you. Also, we'd love your feedback, so please DM us on Instagram at Fauda2020.